Hi, you're listening to Your Best with my nanny, Kathy Weckworth. Hi, this is Kathy Weckworth, Executive Director of Best Life Ministries, and you're listening to Your Best, a motivational, inspirational 30 minutes that will help you want to be your best. Today's topic is celebrating Easter. Growing up in Southwest Iowa, I celebrated a lot of Easter's with mom and dad. My siblings and I would line up in the kitchen and watch as mom would dissolve the Easter egg dye tablets into the little cups of vinegar water. We marveled at how they would turn blue, pink, green, and yellow. The egg lady would have dropped off several dozen eggs from her farm outside of town and we'd work quickly at getting them boiled up and ready to decorate. Mom had three Easter baskets that I think she picked up at the Five and Dime store and they were colored red, green, and tan and had long, skinny handles. I don't know whatever happened to them, but I loved them so. Mom would stuff loose green plastic grass into the bottoms and would line them with a few jelly beans, malted milk eggs, and a surprise. Sometimes it would be a pair of kitty sunglasses. Sometimes it would be a toy pistol for my brother and bubbles for my sister. We would have our big Easter dinner at the old green table. Every once in a while, my extended family would join us. My grandparents are my cousins. Mostly it was us and sometimes a pastor and his wife, perhaps that didn't have family. The table would burst with platters of food. There was always piping hot ham with a yummy sweet glaze. We'd have whipped mashed potatoes with an icky ham gravy that I never liked. Typically, we'd have something yummy like carrots or peas, but often it would be partnered with something awful like Brussels sprouts. Mom was a great baker of bread. She'd have hot rolls slathered with melting butter. But for Easter, she'd make hot cross buns. I never really understood the history behind it, but they were a sweeter batter with raisins and mom piped a cross over the top. We always had some sort of salad and then typically a coconut cream pie for dessert. As a child, I was dressed in my new dress, usually white with yellow or pink piping. I focused on my straw hat with stretchy band that went around my chin and hurt my neck. I had little white gloves and black patent leather shoes that were shiny. I carried a little white purse with plastic flowers, which I have now given to my granddaughter Cordelia. My brother was donned in a tie and suit coat and my sister dressed like me. I love to remember those days, but what I failed to express in my recent rhetoric about Easter was simply this. My parents did nothing but focus on the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As a little child, my focus was on Easter baskets, outfits, eggs, and dinner. But my folks knew the real meaning. It was a celebration, a celebration that Jesus was given as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. The true meaning of Easter, celebration, that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, joining me on today's show is my friend and best life staffer, because he's here all the time, is Pastor Louis Schultz. Pastor Louis is a graduate of Bethel University and Seminary in St. Paul, and he has pastored churches for over 25 years. Welcome, Pastor Louis. Hi, Kathy. We keep doing this so long, you're going to have to go like 30 years and then oh, I 50 years. Won't that be great? How fabulous yeah. is that? So you know what? Today we're going to talk about Easter because happy Easter. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Yay. And it's so, so exciting to talk with you about this because we love Easter. We love the whole story of Jesus Christ and what he did. 
So here's my first difficult, tricky question, Pastor Louis. Throughout history, scholars, theologians, and critics have questioned the reality of hell. And let's talk a little bit about that because we know that Easter focuses about, you know, Good Friday, and that's about Jesus dying on the cross, which according to Scripture, you know, we believe that's truth. And we believe that he died so that we could have eternal salvation. But as I said, sometimes people throughout history have really challenged the idea of hell. Tell me what you think about that. Well, forever, Kathy, since the founding of the Christian church with Jesus telling Peter to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail, hell has been an inconvenient truth, right? It's not something that any of us are excited about, but we know if we do a cursory look at the New Testament, Jesus actually talked more about hell than he did heaven. The early church fathers that built the creeds, the central ideas and and beliefs of all Christians everywhere, the creeds say that Jesus descended into hell. Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about all that Christ accomplished after his death, burial, and resurrection, and it says that he descended to the depths and led captivity captive. Um, So clearly, uh, a plain understanding of the Bible, without trying to be tricky or to make up some new ideas, has always supported there's both a heaven and a hell. Jesus, in Luke 16, tells a story about the afterlife, and in that story, a rich man dies. He goes to Hades, or the the place opposite what we would consider heaven, and heaven, Jesus describes as Abraham's bosom. Obviously, Jesus was a Jew. Abraham was the father of all Jews, and so this was this good place that the poor beggar that used to sit outside Lazarus's gate begging for crumbs, in the afterlife, he goes into Abraham's bosom, a place Jesus would later at the cross call paradise, and the rich man goes into the bad place, the the compartment of the afterlife that is full of torment, and he's obviously in agony and pain mentally and physically, And he wants uh, to be able to go back and tell his brothers and sisters that they should probably make peace with God before they die, because this is not something he would want for them. Hmm. So the idea of a conscious place of punishment where sin and evil is held accountable is something that's strongly biblical. But not only that, Kathy... We realize as humanoids that we want to live, and I believe it's because we're born in the image of God, made in the image of God. We want to live in a world where evil actors are punished. When the chemical attacks happened in Syria, the whole world was up in arms at looking at babies and women and, and other people who had been killed by this terrorist act. And we wanted justice for those people and justice for the rest of the world. It's built into our 
spiritual DNA because we're made in the image of God, that we want evil. We know it needs to be punished. If it's not, everybody will do what's right in their own eyes, like in the book of Judges, when things were going very, very badly. And so the notion that you'd want to explain away hell comes from a hermeneutic or a way of interpreting Scripture that isn't willing to let what's plain be plain. Hmm, Look at the plain meaning of the original author, Mm -hmm. the original language he used, the original political situation, cultural, historical. That's the way we were taught in seminary to interpret any literature, and Scripture is, is, to my taking, of course, the most important piece of literature we have, and you need to have plain meaning come from plain actors writing to plain audience that originally would have taken it the way we know the plain meaning would have been. And so to try to explain away hell is convenient, and it might gain you some audience, but it isn't telling the truth as we know it in Scripture. Great. What an incredibly very thorough and good answer, Pastor Louis. So as we think about Good Friday, because we're going to move on to Easter, but thinking about the crucifixion, in the book of Matthew, the description of the setting for what's happening is kind of like a Steven Spielberg movie. I mean, there's an earthquake, it's, it's sad, it's dark. And when Christ dies, it says that the curtain from the temple is torn in two. And Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one says, At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, I remember from Bible college that that was a really, really big, tall curtain. And what's the significance of it being torn in two from top to bottom, where a human couldn't do it from the bottom? Tell us about that. I'm so glad you asked about that, because it's such a, a beautiful picture of God's desire from the very beginning that all of us would have intimate access to Him. Remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, and the, what we know now as sin or missing the mark entered the human experience, and with that death, God, from the garden, has always wanted to have all of that restored as they would walk and talk in the cool of the day in the perfect environment um, with no sin at all and, and beautiful food. And Adam had the best job on the planet managing perfect world. God had always wanted that to be restored in the temple layout, the temple architecture, there was outer courts, and then there was an inner place called the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies, where the actual Shekinah glory presence of God lived. Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark, that scene at the end where the bad people are trying to get access to what's inside the ark, and they all melt away like in a nuclear meltdown. Well, it was the symbol Um, and the manifestation of God being in a place. And when Christ fully accomplished all that the Father needed to happen to restore mankind to himself, all the sin paid for, then that curtain, which I think was like nine inches of nearly 
like armor like fabric if you could picture something like that okay so so that's yeah. that's what happened okay god opened the way freely for all of us to come hebrews 10 says now we can approach him boldly because our hearts have been cleaned by the sacrifice of the cross so as we think about that good friday um i know that people often talk about what's happening with the disciples you know they've been following him well, if you read the narrative of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when the temple guards came and arrested Jesus, Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Um, obviously, they're all there at that point. And then in John chapter 20, we know Easter Sunday night, they were gathered, locked away in the upper room of a building, afraid that the Jews and the Romans were going to come and get them next. So we've got them all there in the garden, and then we've got them all there on Easter Sunday night. At the cross itself, we know John and Mary, Jesus' mother, are there. And there's other records of other friends, um, the, the other women, another Mary or two that are present at the foot of the cross. Um, but the, the Bible in the Old Testament said a prophecy, and I don't remember the address, but when you strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter. And that's basically what happened. Oh, they scattered sure. because now the arm of the Jewish temple law was coming down on their rabbi, and they could only imagine that once they took care of the rabbi, they'd want to clean up their mess with all of his followers and that's why they ended up locked away for fear of the Jews in John 20. We're going to take a short break for a few minutes and let these thoughts and teachings soak into your heart and spirit. But first, I want to read this excerpt from author Max Licato called Lamb of God. Remember how John the Baptist introduced his cousin? He called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, the blood of Jesus does not conceal our sins, or cover our sins, or dilute our sins. The Lamb of God did not come to postpone our sins or diminish our sins, but to remove, to take away our sins once and for all time. If I take something away from you, do you still have it? Of course not. If Christ takes away your sins, do you still have them? No, you don't. Your sins are gone. His one-time sacrifice was for all time. Hence, no more blood needs to be shed. No more sacrifice needs to be made. How can you earn what has already been given? The only contribution you make to your redemption is your sin. Your service might please God, your worship might exalt God, and your study might reveal God. But you need never to aspire to satisfy God. He is satisfied, satisfied with the work of His Son. Here's a song by Bebo Norman called Lamb of God. Have mercy on us. 
After many excruciating hours, Christ dies on the cross. Scripture says that a member of the council came from Arimathea and asked for Jesus' body so he could prepare it for the tomb. And listeners, I like this scripture because it takes us right there to where things are happening. Matthew 27, 62 through 66, the guard of the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Matthew 28, 5 through 10 says, The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for he is risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Well, obviously, Pastor Louis, Jesus' body is not stolen. He's not revived. He's been guarded because they are worried that he will do what he says. And so often we see the reoccurring theme throughout history that several critics and, and, you know, people who are studying the scriptures say, you know what, he did not resurrect. He was not resurrected. He was resuscitated. But our scripture, as we just read it, is very clear. There was, you know, even the people were afraid. So, you know, tell me what you think. How would you respond to anybody who is arguing that thought? Well, you're absolutely right, Kathy. Throughout history, there have been teachers that have tried to explain away the supernatural part of the stories of Jesus. And obviously the most um, important miracle that ever happened was that someone was raised from the dead. And this was called the swoon theory. In other words, that he didn't really die, but he just became unconscious and then somehow was resuscitated. Think about it, Kathy. Let's say um, you or I went through all of the torture, all of the beatings, all of the uh, deprivation of food and water, all of the dehydration, and then endured hanging on a cross of wood 
where every breath required you to pull up on the nails driven through your hand or wrists in order for your lungs to be able to expand and for you to be able to breathe, as you'd probably know, crucifixion um, victims die of asphyxiation. They can't breathe anymore because they don't have any more strength to lift themselves up and get a breath. So this is going on for hours and hours. And then a Roman soldier sticks a spear inside of Jesus' side and blood and water come out, and all the medical professionals and forensic medical people I've interacted with said that's crystal clear evidence that this is a dead body. Let's say that they missed something, um, you, you, and Jesus was rushed off to a modern hospital where he was put in a medical coma until he got better. Oh, that's right. There wasn't any modern hospital that he was whisked that's off right. to. He was actually put in burial clothes and ointments and put inside of a hewn-out rock cave and a big rock put in front of it. So the fact that Jesus appeared to 500-plus people after he was raised from the dead, and he wasn't limping, and he wasn't in ill health, and he was able to eat and to speak and all of that to comfort his his followers. Paul writes to the Corinthians, if there is no resurrection, we are, as Christians, to be most pitied. Hmm. The resurrection is the crux of the reality of our faith, and that's why it's so important to get it right, that the resurrection is the most attested to historical fact in the history of mankind. There's more record that there was an empty tomb about that event than any other historical record in time. I love Pretty that. Pretty cool, huh? It is very cool. Thank you so much. So my last question is this. Out of everything through the story, and listeners, I'm sure that you are not aware of this, but many, many years ago when I worked um, in Elk River, Minnesota, and um, I was friends there with many of the church leaders, Pastor Louis is one of the people that I met there, and I called him up and said, I need you to play Jesus in the Passion Play at our church. And he did. And he did an incredible job. And as we looked at Good Friday and, you know, we think about the Last Supper, we look at, at, you know, Jesus dying on the cross and we think about Easter over the whole weekend. Do you have a favorite moment that you love about this story? You know, um, just for full disclosure, I was also in a musical once where I played Judas, just in case the listeners might think, oh, (laughs) this is some really... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so the, the story makes its way into our everyday lives by way of the power that is manifested through the resurrection. Paul wrote to the Philippians and said, I want to know this Jesus more and the power of the resurrection. See, Paul knew that when the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and that we, Acts 1.8 says, have received power because he came upon us when we believed, that power is available to impact everything that happens to me every day, Mm -hmm. to bring peace, 
mm-hmm. where there is struggle and tension to bring um, deliverance, where I'm, I'm caught in sin, to bring love, all the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control into everyday relationships at work and in family and marriage. That, to me, is the best part of Easter, because mm-hmm. it's that resurrection power is a gift that keeps on giving. Oh, fabulous. Thank you so much, Pastor Louis, for being with us here today and helping to celebrate the Easter Sunday. You're so very welcome. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you. Friends, one of my favorite authors to read at Easter is, again, Max Lucado. And here's an excerpt from his book, He Chose the Nails. The same hand that stilled the seas stills your guilt. The same hand that cleanses the temple cleanses your heart. The hand is the hand of God. The nail is the nail of God. And as the hands of Jesus opened for the nail, the doors of heaven opened for you. Here's one I remember by Kim Hill. When I remember Be the cross 
You know the finest hour of my history It will always be the cross When I remember Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for making a bridge between a holy God and a sinful man. We praise you. We celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Celebrate today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Friends, if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe to it on iTunes and please give us a favorable review so that other people can listen to the show and enjoy it as well. For more encouragement and hope, log on to our website at bestlifeministries.com. And for more information about me, you can log on to kathyweckworth.com. Hey, thanks for being with us today. And until next time, I encourage you to go out and be your best.